Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. Have you ever done something for someone that has taken so much of your time and so much of your energy that you have invested in that person or in that cause? And then you discover that that person didn't even say as much as thank you. Have you been there? Well, if you've been there, you understand the feeling that goes with that. You understand how that would do to you. And conversely, sometimes you do something so small for somebody who could never thank you enough. Every time he sees you or she sees you, say, thank you. We say, wait a minute, I can't even remember this. It was so small. But today I want to tell you that God feels the same way both for those who are constantly expressing thanks and toward those who never say thank you. God feels the same way. He has similar reaction to yours. Of course, He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. But He's a personable God. And one of His character, He's a feeling God. And therefore, I want to share with you today what God thinks of thanksgiving. I want you to turn with me, please. 1711 of the Gospel according to Luke. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you whole. Or, in some translations you have, your faith has saved you. Only 10%, 10% of those whom Jesus healed express genuine thanksgiving. And it was the most unlikely 10%. It's not the ones that you would have expected. The 10% were the most unlikely people would have expressed thanks. Well, the text said there were a bunch of melancholy lepers, 10 of them, and 
in one of the villages on the border of Samaria and Galilee. Luke is very meticulous. He's very careful to tell us some details that are really important. And most people don't understand. But because being a scientist, he does not leave out some of the details. Mark is anxious to tell you the important things, and he kind of moves fast in the Gospels. Luke goes back and fills in all the gaps. As a scientist, he made sure that he checked and he double-checked his evidence. So that village between Samaria and Galilee is very important, as you're going to see in a minute. They were a mixture, Jews and Samaritans. Common misery brought them together. As we say, misery loves company. And so they got together. You see, under normal circumstances, they would have been at each other's throat. Under normal circumstances, they hated each other. Under normal circumstances, they are at enemy. They were enemies of each other. They were at enmity with each other. But because of their common disease, they were all classified as unclean, whether they are in Samaria or whether they are in, in the land of Israel. Both Jews and Samaritans were banishing lepers out of their community, out of their towns, out of their society, into a no-man's land outside of the area. Now, the manifestation of that skin disease is so horrible, I am not going to put you through this. <laughs> um, you can read about it if you're interested. The white patches in the skin, and the Old Testament said that diagnosis of the disease was determined by the priest. After the priest examines the skin and he suspects that it is leprosy, he would put that person into quarantine for seven days. And then he examined the person one more time after seven days. And if it's still, the disease still there, put them back in quarantine seven more days. And finally, if the disease persists, they are sent out of the community, outside of the city wall, outside of the family, away from the neighbors, away from everybody that they know. Only the priest who has declared the person to be a leper, he can declare him to be clean or healed. And the priest did this because all diseases in the Old Testament was associated with sin. Not this one specifically, but all, all diseases somehow in their mind was associated with sin. So in their isolation, the only person that a leper can be in fellowship with that the only person that a leper can have communion with, that the only person a leper can be with is another leper. The life of a leper was death while they're still living. And this border area is significant because obviously the Israelites who are living in Galilee in the northern part, I wish I had the map to show you, will send their people out from their area, and the Samaritans send them out, and they come in the middle there where it's no man's land. And imagine Jesus goes there specifically, specially, because not too many healthy people would go by the colony of lepers. You say, how do you know that? The border between Galilee and Samaria, it was a desolate area, and that's where they dumped what they call undesirables. Those ten men stood from afar. They have to because by law they're not allowed to get anywhere near a healthy person. They have to stand long, long away. In fact, some of them would have a bell and ring a bell so people know that they're coming. And it says, leper, leper, leper. So everybody would run away even if they make it into society. Now in this case, Jesus 
never told them that they were healed. You notice that in the text? He didn't say, well, you're healed. He did this before. He touched lepers. He healed them because he is the Savior, and he is the Savior of all, from all of our sins and all of our diseases, and he laid hands on lepers. He's the only one who laid hands on lepers. And in this case, he did not. He just said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Why? So that they formally be accepted back into society. So they formally be declared that they are clean. So they feel that they are justified to be back into society. Can, I don't know whether you can feel the intensity of this situation. I'm trying to give you the best picture that I can draw. And, but this is such an intense moment that all of a sudden they're looking, hey, even before they got to the priest. Because these people were the rejects of society. These people were rejected by their own families. They're rejected by their friends. They're rejected by everybody. These people were the untouchables of society. And Jesus changes their lives and he turns it upside down in a split second. And they were literally given a new lease on life. They were not only healed, but they can enter into society again. They can participate in life's activities again. They can be treated with dignity again. They can work and earn a living again. They can marry and have children. They can have fellowship with family and friends again. It's a life-changing thing. It's not just a simple healing. And so they go to the priest, and obviously the priest declares them clean. But there was a damper on the situation here. There was a damper here. There was a, this incredible grace of God. There's a damper. There was a, a sad note after the excitement of the supernatural power of Jesus healing those people. There's a damper. Nine out of the ten took the healing from Jesus and took off. Nine out of the ten received the gifts, but then they disappeared after they got it. Never to come back. Nine out of the ten received the blessings, but never returned to give thanks to God. They never thought of expressing thankfulness. They never exhibited gratitude. They dropped out of sight. Only one of them. A Samaritan. And remember Jesus said, he came first to the household of Israel. In terms of priority, he came to Israel. When Israel rejected him, remember in John chapter 1, when his own received him not. So the Samaritans, in the sense, were the second-class citizens. But it's the only one. It's a Samaritan who was seized with the impulse of gratitude. He was the only one who made his way back to his benefactor, fell on his face and on his knees and thanked him. Beloved, I want you to listen to me very carefully. As a person who was not born in this country, as I look around, I would think, well, I would have thought that we as a people in this great nation would be the first people to be on our faces before God in thanksgiving instead of stamping God out of our lives. Instead, we are finding people, instead of finding them on their knees giving thanks to God, they take all of their blessings for granted. They demand their rights even when they don't have any rights. They scream for more even when they never thank for what they got. One out of ten felt compelled to return to the master and say thank you. Look at verses 15 and 16 of Luke 17. 
You see, there were two separate acts here. This Samaritan, verse 15, he began to praise God in a loud voice. But that was not enough for him. Praising God in a loud voice was not enough for him. So, he had to go back in person and thank Jesus. And he falls on his face in gratitude. What about the other nine? Well, really, we don't know. They could have praised God privately. Oh, they could have sat before the meal and said, Oh, for about what are we about to receive? May the Lord make us truly thankful. They may have done that. I don't know. We don't know. They were very private. My religion is very private. But at least we know they did not come back. We know they did not come back and say, thank you. Now, beloved, listen to me. Many of us can sing praises to God. Many of us can mouth the words of praise, but it is altogether different from expressing thanksgiving in the attitude of sacrifice. Well, I want to share four things with you before I get carried away. Four things. First, many other requests, few are the thankful. Many other requests, few are the thankful. That's my first point. You know, when we need something from God, and I'm no exception, (laughs) when we need something from God, oh, we never hesitate to call upon the Lord. We pray and we ask, and then we ask other people to ask on our behalf. We go to every prayer meeting in town. We become spiritual giants. We want something from God. And you know what? God often answers our prayers. He really does. But you know what God does after he answers the prayers of his people? He watches and he sees who's coming back with the same intensity and giving thanks and who's not. That's what he does. You say, Michael, how do you know that? How do you get that? Well, it's right here in the text. I'm not making it up. <laughs> He's watching to see who's giving tangible thanks and who is not. It's like that little girl who was on a train. She's about six years old. And she is gregarious, outgoing, and she was running around up and down the courage, back and forth, uh, up and down the aisle. She was making friends with everybody, laughing and giggling and playing, and it was impossible to tell whose daughter it was, which passenger did she belong to. It was impossible. And she was talking to everybody. As ne- she's never met a stranger, and suddenly, just as the train whistled and let out a loud shriek, the train roared into a dark tunnel, and with a cry of fright, the child was in her mother's lap within split seconds. Well, we're so much like that child, aren't we not? We're so much like that child. When the sun is shining in our lives and all is going well, we are full of ourselves. But as soon as the shriek of trouble comes in, as soon as darkness of despair comes in, we cry to God, we seek God, we run to God, we pray to God, we ask God. And that's fine. I'm not discouraging you from doing that. Listen to me. I'm not discouraging you from doing this. But sadly, very few go back. And offer thanks to God with the same intensity by which they ask for blessing from God. If this incident in Luke 17, and I'm saying if, I don't know, is statistically correct, God must be brokenhearted. 
If only one in ten would come back and say thank you after they've been blessed of God, then God must be brokenhearted. You say, Michael, how do you know that? If you speak aloud those words of Jesus, here's how you would say it. Here's how Jesus would have spoken. He said, he said were there not ten healed? Where are the other nine? Many other requests. Few other thankful. Secondly, many believe, but few express thanks. All ten believed. How do you know that? They took Jesus at his word. He said to them, go and see the priest. He didn't say, oh, no, I'm not really sure. Why would I see the priest? Now he's going to tell me the same thing over again. He already been seeing him every seven days, and nothing is happening. Nothing is wrong. They could have doubted the words of Jesus. They, but they, no, 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 they did not do that. They believed. They believed the words of Jesus. And they marched in confidence to see the priest. They were desperate, you see. They were ready to do anything. They were ready to receive. They were ready to believe. They were ready to do anything in order for their physical needs might be met. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. When people need something from God, they become great believers. Through the years, I've heard people. I remember one specifically many, many years ago. He would say to me, time after time, time after time, if only God would answer my prayer. If only God just get me out of this predicament. If only God, if only God, if only God. I am going to do this and I'm going to do that. I wanted to put my hand on his mouth. (laughs) Within six months of God answering his prayers, I've never been able to find him. (laughs) He disappeared. None of the nine... None of them came back to thank Jesus. Their belief never followed into practical gratitude. I often, often chide myself. More often than you even realize. I chide myself. Because I know when God wrestles with me, I know how to wrestle with God like Jacob. I know how to intercede like Elijah I know how to plead with God like Jeremiah. I know how to do that. And yet I confess to you that my intensity in expressing thanks to God is not anywhere near my intensity when I'm asking from God. My thankfulness to God is not anywhere near as often as when I ask from God. My spending time cataloging all of God's blessings is not anywhere near the time that I spend interceding and crying to the Lord. So I speak from experience. I'm not pointing fingers. I want you to hear me right, please. Listen to this very carefully. I have learned through the years that my thankfulness knits me closer to Jesus than when I'm asking. I want to repeat that. Thankfulness knits you closer, bonds you with Jesus in a greater bond than when you're asking. Now, don't stop asking. I'm not saying that. Don't misunderstand me. Somebody's going to go out and say, well, Michael, no, 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 no. Listen, God said ask. 
And you got to ask. I'm not telling you not to ask, but I'm telling you from my personal experience that my time of thanksgiving and praise and adoration of God, my time of sacrifice, when I offer the sacrifice of praise to Him, when times when I express my thanks in tangible ways that bring me closer in bonding with Jesus than in the times when I want something from Him. Many other requests, few other thankfulness. Many believe, but few express thanks. Thirdly, thankfulness must be expressed promptly, determining, with intensity and fervor. Look at this man, and humility as well. This man returned to Jesus immediately, and he came to him alone. He was a Samaritan, and the others were Jews. They were like Jesus, to whom he came. He's their Messiah. And because he kept the company of the Jews, he could have easily said to himself, he could have easily have said, why should I go alone? I don't like to go alone. You know, it's just, what if he rejects me? What if he says that you're a Samaritan? What are you doing here? I healed you because of the other Jews. What if he does this? And what if he does that? What if he does that? But this man couldn't be bothered to even doubt. He could have said, why should I go back to Jesus when these religious people did not go? He could have said to himself, I'm going to wait and then return to Jesus when they return, which would have been never. Now, because of his thankful heart, he went alone. Because of his thankful heart, he sang alone. Because of his thankful heart, he bowed to Jesus alone. Because of his thankful heart, he sacrificed alone. It didn't matter to him if others thanked him or not. It didn't matter to him what others do or did not do. As if to say, I will not measure my thankfulness to God by others. Even if they seem to be more spiritual, even if they seem to be more versed in the Scripture, even if they seem to be more visibly involved in the Christian activities, even if they seem to have more blessings than I do, my thankfulness to God will not be measured by somebody else's thankfulness to God or lack of it. In fact, there's something exciting about that person who goes alone to God and give thanks, regardless of what other people do or do not do. The saddest thing for me is when I meet somebody who's been in the faith for a long time and somehow thinks that they got it all. They basically nothing new that you can teach them, nothing new that they can glee from the Scripture. They got it all. Nothing exhilarates them. They got it all. So they go Sunday to listen to the preacher and see if this sermon was better than the other one and compare sermons. And people jump from church to church. Not read the scripture. Well, I read it, you know, last year. I've, I've got it. I don't need to. That's the saddest thing to me. I can tell you, as God my witness, not one time do I sit down and read the scripture. And it doesn't matter how many times I've read that passage without God giving me new insight, without God ministering to me, without God teaching me something new. Always, 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 there's more fruit on the tree. And this Samaritan was back to Jesus almost immediately. Listen to me. The quicker you express your gratitude, the better off you are. Has he blessed you today? Express your sacrifice of praise today. 
Not tomorrow. Did he give you spiritual blessings today? Return immediately and give him thanks. Has he given you material blessing today? Return back to him the portion that belongs to him. Don't delay. In fact, I was thinking about this, and I thought of a story that I heard a long time ago by a man by the name of R.G. Letourneau. He's the founder of Caterpillar Company. But Mr. Letourneau was known, was renowned as a great steward, supported many Christian causes around the country. He was Mr. Steward. He was known for his stewardship. And one year, he made a whole lot of money, a lot more than he's ever made before. So he kind of scratched his head and said, Lord, I think I'm going to take this money, and I'm not going to return it back to you this year. I'm going to invest it, and I'm going to double it. And then I'm going to return it to you next year in much larger quantity, in much larger numbers. Well, he lost it. That year, he lost that investment completely. So he said that he was praying one day, and he heard the Lord to be saying to him, Bob, Next time, give me my money. Let me do my own investing. (laughs) True thankfulness is expressed not only in promptness, determination, but also in intensity. This man was not satisfied with the cold handshake of saying, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That is enough to turn your stomach. What does that mean? Thank you. (laughs) He turned back with a loud voice. He glorified God. He was not showing off. He was not trying to attract attention. But he wanted the world to know the intensity of his thankfulness. (laughs) He did not want to keep it a secret. His religion is not private. His thankfulness is not a secret. The whole world knows all about it. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? I, I, I know some of you are probably going to not like this, but it's the truth, and you know it's the truth, that if somebody, if any of you would shout hallelujah just now, hallelujah. well, okay, <laughs> listen to me. If you would shout hallelujah, you know what they call you? They call you a fanatic. <laughs> but in the ball game, if you shout, they call you a fan. <laughs> Do you get that? Yeah, I know some of you are really feeling guilty, but that's all right. So shout hallelujah, give, get over your guilt. <laughs> Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Thankful not only expressed in promptness and intensity, but also expressed in humility. This man who fell at the feet of Jesus, as if to say, without your grace... Without your mercy, without your power, without your love, without your healing, without your goodness to me, I would have still been nobody. I would have still been a dead man walking. I would have still remained in misery because I was dead while I was still breathing. Now, I'm at your feet, Jesus, to say thank you, to say thank you. But I want you to notice his humility here. You know, when Jesus asked, where are the nine? This man, in true humility, you know what he said? You know what he said? Nothing. (laughs) He said nothing. 
He did not blow it. I tell you what, I, I'm, I thought about this, so I'm going to tell you anyway, it doesn't matter. I thought about if that was me, I would have blown it. I really would have. Because you know what I would have said? Well, Jesus. <laughs> They're not just as spiritual as I am. They're not as grateful and thankful as I am. I would have blown it. It would have been all over. I'm going to show you why. It's very, very important. This man in true humility did not point out to the weaknesses of others. He did not let somebody else's weakness come between him and his thankfulness to God. And therefore, fourthly, this man was blessed far more than all the other nine. Let me remind you. First, many are the requests. Few are the thankful. Secondly, many believe. Few express thanks. Thirdly, thankfulness must be expressed promptly with intensity, determination, and humility. And fourthly, a thankful heart brings about a whole different set of blessings from the non-thankful. I'm going to show it to you. That's my fourth point. That's very important. If you missed everything so far, don't miss this one. Because some of you, eternity may be hanging on this point. I want you to listen carefully. This man was blessed far more than the other nine will ever dream of. How? Oh, they were physically healed. They were back in society again. Yes, yes, yes. But oh, only the thankful man who received the immeasurable gift of spiritual blessing, of spiritual healing, of receiving salvation from the hand of Jesus. When he returned to thank Jesus, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. What can be a greater blessing than to know that your eternal future is settled and that when you close your eyes in death, you will be with Jesus for eternity? What can be a greater gift than that? You see, that's what we call spiritual healing. I want you to hear me right. Please listen carefully. Physical healing will last for a lifetime, but spiritual healing will last forever and ever and ever. Physical healing will improve the quality of life, and I thank God for His physical healing, but spiritual healing will give you eternal life. And this thankful Samaritan was eternally saved, and I believe you and I are going to see Him in heaven because of His gratitude to Jesus. And the faith that Jesus is talking about here for this man, he said, your faith saved you or your faith made you whole. That's not the same faith they exercised when they received physical healing. It's not the same faith. And that's why only this guy got it, not the others. Because his attitude of thankfulness developed faith in being saved. That faith that brought him back to Jesus is the faith that saved him. Did you notice how often God answered prayers of believers and unbelievers alike? I mean, and you say, why? Because possibly from this text, that one in ten might come back and receive him as Savior and Lord of his life or her life. 
You see, the theologians call common graces. That is, the sun will shine, believers and unbelievers. The rain will come for believers and unbelievers. But there are special graces that are given to the thankful person. When he comes to Jesus, he'll receive salvation from his hand, assurance of eternal life. And if anybody here today has never received that incredible gift of God of eternal life, you can today. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I receive you as the Savior of my life and the Lord of my life. And you'll spend eternity with him. So what does God think of thanksgiving? He rewards it. He blesses it. He's honored by it. And oh, he rejoices in it. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It causes him to want to open the windows of heaven and bless you beyond measure. And if you're one of those people who feel thankful only around Thanksgiving season, begin today to develop the lifestyle of thanks living. Of thanks living. I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to conclude. It's a true story. And it took place in the early part of the 1900s in China. There was a veteran missionary by the name of Henry Frost. Henry Frost received a letter from home with some very sad news. That depression fell upon him like a blanket. And many of you know what I'm talking about. And so he started praying. And he prayed. Day after day he would pray. He immersed his, himself in the word of God and studying of the scripture. And he would read all the passages in the right passage. And he would pray to God. God, lift up this depression. Lift up the spirit of oppression that is covering me like a blanket. But nothing was happening. Every day got worse. And one day he decided that he's going to drive out in the outer areas of China where there was a mission station. So he went from the city and went to that mission station. Before he saw anybody, as soon as he opened the door, there was a sign on the wall. Two words. Two words. It says, try thanksgiving try thanksgiving. And in his own biography, he said, I did. And in moments, moments, depression lifted like a fog in my life. And in my life, I began to rejoice again. My beloved friend, I tell you, it's not just my testimony, but testimony of thousands of people. Thanks living. Thanks living. 